Welcome into another episode of the Original Gangsters Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bernstein, along with my co-host and partner in crime, Dr. Jimmy Bucciolato. Hi, everyone. Hey, now. Uh, so we're very excited to bring you this new episode. We have a special guest in um, former button man, made guy in the Lucchese crime family out of New York, big part of their uh, Staten Island Bronx crew, John Panisi. John, uh, thank you very much for, for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And John has um, been blogging and podcasting uh, since he, uh, you know, finished up his life as a as a gangster. And uh, I think he's someone that is going to bring a lot of insight for us and our audience into the new millennium mafia, organized crime in the 21st century, and how it operates, how it's changing, how it's evolving. And Johnny, why don't we just kind of start from the beginning? Um, Kind of just, you know, tell us your story. So I was a, when I was younger, I grew up in uh, both Howard Beach, Queens, and Ozone Park, Queens. And um, Ozone Park was a neighborhood where all the social clubs for all these families, they had numerous, sometimes on every other block, there was one. And then conversely, Howard Beach was where all the bosses, and where all these guys lived. So they kind of lived in Howard Beach and hung out at these clubs in Ozone Park. I lived with my mom in Howard Beach and my father in Ozone Park, you know, came from a broken home. And, um, you know, I think as a lot of guys in that life can relate to, as a young guy, I um, looked up to these guys. Uh, you know, they were very different back then. You know, these guys are driving around flashy cars and pinky rings and suits and money and you know they were very flashy and to a young um, mind that's how it all started you know where other people were saving up for footballs or their favorite helmet or bicycle I was I was just telling somebody today I was saving up for pinky ring (laughs) I just you know and um, that's that's really how things started and then at the young age of 14 I started at 12 I was teaching myself to drive I would go down while my mom was sleeping and go take a car and take it for a spin around the neighborhood and I kind of taught myself how to drive and she had a job as a secretary for a company right outside Kennedy Airport it wasn't in the airport it was like on taking me to work with her because there was nobody to watch me and the guys that had the company were Louis Dedone, who winds up becoming one of the boss, the boss of an acting boss of Casey family. The Louis Bagels? Ray Argentina. Yeah, Ray Argentina. And just a bunch of guys. And that's how I meet uh, my dear friend who I, who I just bought, Johnny Santori. And these guys are coming home from prison. And everybody's hanging out in this, in like the office in this place. So they give me the keys to a, a van and said, let them work. You know, you're not a drive kid. Yeah. And I, I started driving a van, picking up um, luggage from the airport that um, if you came in on a flight and your luggage didn't make it, we would get the luggage. To, you know, we'd go through the airport. They would give us the luggage and we would get it to either your hotel or your house. We would bring it. And, you know, so that really was my first at a young age experience of now being around these guys and listening stories and you know watching their mannerism mannerisms and, and um that's what happened and then 
my I have a cousin that became associated uh, with John John Gotti Jr. and then started taking me with him, and then I became associated with with, with that Gambino side of the family. And um, you know, now we're around as young guys and going around the club and seeing Johnny Gotti, and you know, these guys were out and around and about. And um, you know, that that's kind of my first taste of the life of, of just being a, maybe a low level associate young guy around the Gambinos. I was just going to ask, like at that point, um, are you thinking that uh, if, if, if you stick with this, you're going to identify with the Lucchese family or could be the Gambinos at that point, was it sort of like open territory? Like you could, you could choose your own path. Neither or I, 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 was not thinking about the Lucases at all because I only worked around them a little bit from the uh, airport job. But, you know, outside of that, I didn't see them. You know, okay. They would just go about their lives. I, um, Howard Beach and Ozone Park, although there was a lot of families around, it was predominantly the Gambino family had the strong presence there, especially in Ozone Park. So that's really what I've seen and experienced. Um, being around them, you know, I, I, you're not even thinking, you know, towards the future, like, oh, I'm going to be a wise guy or, you know, you just, I guess I was just, I guess at that time, at that age, excited to be around these guys and in their company and, you know, and start experiencing that, like the young guys in my neighborhood would just treat you a little different, treat you a little more, even the older guys. A little bit more with a little more respect. Maybe they see they pass by, seeing you hanging out with by the club or by with John Junior or talking with them, and you know that's how that area was. It was very um, uh, they back then the mob was different. They were very very feared, you know, in in, in our neighborhood. You know, their presence was uh, very big. Okay, no, that's good. Continue. So and like we. And, you know, we're meeting people and we're, we're, we're around. And like I said, I would say at that time, it's very low-level associate. And um, I sold a little fireworks and, you know, different things. And, and I made my own my own money. I was trying to do different things. And what happens is, is that I, um, I get into an incident and I wind up getting myself into a tremendous deal of trouble someone lost their life um it was me and another guy that were involved in it he was my co-defendant and that is at the age i had just turned i think i was 19 going on 20 at this point and um i so now at this at this point i meet a guy named tony muscatello and tony muscatello Although he wasn't a friend and he wasn't, you know, straightened out, he had the ability to move around and conduct business like he was. And they dealt with him and treated him, gave him that respect. He was very, he was with the whole Johnny Batty crew. And he is the guy that was part, well, he got convicted for the Sun Cruz Casino, the Gus Bullis murder in Florida. Miami so Subs. The Miami Subs. Yes, Case, Miami yeah. Subs. That's so that's him. So he kind of, and believe it or not, he didn't want me to be in the life. He, you know, he was trying to push me to legitimate jobs, which I never listened to him. 
<laughs> and but I learned a lot about the life through him and being around him in his company and various other guys that I that I my my friend that I wrote about, Johnny Santoro, was around the West Side, the Genovese family. There was just guys that I knew a lot of Gambinos and, and, and you just learn, you know, you're picking up and really watching, you know, how they conduct themselves. So when I get into this trouble, I had to go, I didn't have to, I, you know, right away we wanted to run and get away. And it was Tony Muscatello that had to go to John Gotti and ask permission to hide, hide us out. And he got permission and they started hiding us and we went on what we would call on the street, the lamb or society would call, we went on the run, evading law enforcement. And we eventually get caught, but we, but before that, they, they, we even get Bobby Cabert involved in Jersey, and and he hides us out in Jersey, and um, for a little while. But we wind up getting caught, and then we we make bail after maybe about two months, and about a year later we go to trial, and we we ultimately get convicted of uh, uh, we beat the murder counts. There's two of them, and we get convicted of a manslaughter, manslaughter in the first degree. I get sentenced to eight years and four months to 25 years. And, you know, back then when we had Mario Cuomo was in office and he was a Democrat. And, you know, if you did your time and you did good time, he would give you a work release two years prior to your parole date. So I said, all right, you know, we're looking at six years. And, you know, things change and politics change. And we now got Governor Pataki, who was a strong Republican against violent crimes. And I'm watching the flow of the way people are going to the parole board. And, you know, the outcomes are all, they're giving them two more years, two more years, and they're denying parole. So they take away work release. So that's, you know, that went out the window. And now they're, as I'm coming up to my parole board, it's getting worse and worse and worse as far as violent inmates getting parole released. And of course, I don't get it. And they deny me all the way up to, I did 17 years because of the whole political thing with the tacky. And, um, but I'm what in the interim of that time, there was the John Jr. 302 incident that, that was run, you know, that was spiraling, in the street, and, you know, a lot of people, they don't realize we hear news very quickly <laughs> in there because somebody goes on a visit. Yeah. Johnny, let's, let's just backtrack for one quick second. I want to ask you a couple questions about the stuff that you've just been telling us and then try to give a little context to the audience. Yeah. First off, am I right? I'm not positive about this, but the case that you were in on, it wasn't really a mob-related case, right? Wasn't it over a girl? Yeah, nothing to do with organized crime right um what had happened is, is that a girl you know we were, we were we were all young at the time and a girl had taken what they were call and i i didn't know back then now what these kids today would call break right they take a break in their relationship and met me and started dating me and i guess the the boyfriend of the girl was still under the impression like, hey, we're just taking a break, but we're boyfriend and girlfriend. But six months had gone by. 
you know, of me. And, you know, he, uh, I, I don't like talking about the, 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 uh, no, we don't, have to, we, don't, we don't have to get into it. I just wanted to make sure the but, audience understood yeah, so that this wasn't like just, a mob hit. Yeah. This was a... No, it was not. And, you know, he was a, a, a good guy, a, a, you know, a respectable guy, and not a street guy at all. Um, and that's really... Um, so a lot of people say, oh, it was over a woman. I mean, I guess technically it was, but they, they you know, it, there, was, there was a lot more involved that took place that night. And, um, you know, it was just a very, very big mistake. And, and then I also want to just clarify some of the names that we've thrown out there. So Louis Dedoni, who was known as Louis Bagels, was at the time when you were running around with him? He was not. He was he was not 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 the boss. He was a, a friend in the family. OK, but was he was he one of the first people to vouch for you? No, no, no. Who, who would be the first? Um, would be Joey DiBenedetto, who is Vic Amuso, who is the official boss today, right. his son-in-law. Okay. It's his son-in-law. Little Joey, they call him. Okay, so uh, for people that don't know, Vic Amuso, um, Little Vic, Vic the Terminator, uh, has been in prison for about 30 years, but has you know, held the reins of the Lucchese crime family from behind bars, right. had been boss, uh, when he went to prison, had been boss for a good five, six, seven years. And then you also mentioned Bobby Cabert, who's a New Jersey. Is he a was he a Gambino New Jersey guy? He was a Gambino um, captain, yes. And what, well, I just want to digress for a quick second because I think his his nickname is interesting. So they call him Bobby Cabert, and I never understood that. I just recently found this out. They call him Bobby Cabert because he was a great pitcher, and he would get a lot of strikeouts, K's, <laughs> and his name was yeah. Robert. So they shortened it to Cabert. His name was Robert, yes. Right. So yeah. they shortened his it to Cabert. So he goes by Bobby Cabert. That's what a B, right? Yeah. So he, I guess he was this let this this uh, uh, sand um, uh, sandlot legend back in the '60s, <laughs> throwing strikeouts. And then yeah, I didn't I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah, and then the last thing, the last name that we 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 just brought up, and and that will bring us back to where we left off, was John Jr. You're talking about uh, John Gotti Jr who was Correct. the son of the, the Dapper Don, the Teflon Don, John Gotti. And uh, when John Gotti went away to prison in, in 1991, I believe, uh, yeah. his son, John Jr., at the time, who was in his late 20s, early 30s, became, acting became boss. the acting boss. Then he got into some trouble about 10 years after that. And there's you mentioned the, the 302. For people that don't know what a 302 Correct. is, it's a a document that's drafted by the federal government after information has been given. And a 302 right. is, is, is a um, kind of a, a, a law enforcement vetting of that information and a, an indexing of that information. Correct. Now, John Jr. Uh, faced like three or four cases in a, in a, in maybe about a half dozen years of the 2000s where the feds were coming after him real hard. Yeah, they were going after him real hard. And he kept on he kept on getting uh like hung juries? Hung juries, yeah. I think he think he the last three in a row was when they finally had to end it. But within that three. time frame there was some type of meeting with the FBI at some right. point in the 2000 late 2000s a 302 uh, made its way 
onto the street, into some people's hands, um, which showed that while John Gotti Jr. never testified against anyone in court and never made any official cooperation agreement, it looks like from that 302 that he was trading intelligence for um, leniency of some sort? Yeah. He was, I think they were trying to, it looks like him, his lawyer or lawyers and himself and the U.S. attorneys were trying to hammer out some kind of an agreement and a deal. And, you know, they were offering some information as a good faith, good faith basis to, you know, show that he had some information to give, which obviously they knew he did. But I don't think that it worked out and they ended it. It was, um, they call it uh, queen for the day, which I guess means that you, you know, you're speaking about crimes that you can't be charged with. And, you know, so this information traveled into the prison system from various people and visits and whatnot. And then on the heels of that came the Sun Cruz Casino what you call it, subs, what would you call it? Well, I think yeah. Gus Boulis was the owner of the Miami Subs, yeah, the subs. restaurant right. chain, yeah. and then he was also involved in trying to get a casino off the ground, and he was yeah. in bed with the Tony Moscatello. And... Yes, and when that whole thing happened, there was paperwork, supposedly, that came out, and they called Tony Muscatello a, a long-term undercover uh, um, informant. And this said that it dated back, it was like 20 something years. And it threw me for a loop, these, both these things. And um, so now I'm getting ready to, I'm at the end of my sentence. I get out in 2007 of June. And I just made a decision at that point because I, I and I, I wish I would have stuck to my gut. And I just said, you know, I think I think it's just best that I just go home and go to work and forget about this life. And look at you know these are people that I looked up to and you know look look at what's going on and and, and I did I, I got out and um, I wind up sticking to that for almost five years of just going to work construction as a laborer and just minding my business and that's it didn't get no trouble or anything like that and then. Um, a guy that I was away with named Anthony Guzzo, and Anthony Guzzo is the brother of Vito Guzzo, who was convicted years ago of gunning down some Columbos who, who, who killed his father. His father was uh, a member of the Colombo family, and he disappeared. And Anthony gets in touch with me, you know, and starts telling, oh, come out, come meet me, come to Brooklyn. And I start going back out and going into Brooklyn and, you know, hanging around with Anthony. And we get into a fight with some Colombo guys that were dissociates. And we get the better of them. And now the Colombos are looking for me and Anthony. And I, what I didn't say was that People that were around the Gambinos were trying to call for me when I came home. I like, come stop around, come see us. 
uh, you know, even Vinnie Sarah with the bananas used to see me and say, come and see me, kid. You know, they, I was a neighborhood guy. And I just did all this time I came home. But I stood away. I kept, I just said, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, for, and people I just, that, for people that don't know, Vinnie, Vinnie Asaro, who, who Johnny just mentioned, was involved in the famous Lufanza heist mm-hmm. uh, uh, it, that was depicted in the movie Goodfellas. And that's another thing that people should know when John is talking about his childhood growing up, growing up in Ozone Park and growing up by the airport, you know, you saw it in the movie Goodfellas. Like, you know, it was better than Citibank. You know, just go rob the airport. Well, that's what they were doing. You're right. They would just go in there and do scores in the airport. It was like even – I didn't even say that when even – I mean, God, it's, it's, I'll say it now. It's just this is what they were doing. When we would bring the luggage back to the office – they would rifle through it and take out the valuables, the jewelry, any <laughs> perfume, any watch. And they would, you know, so these poor people were getting their stuff back, but it was missing. You know, things were missing. And, they, you know, hey, we don't know if it disappeared in France, <laughs> Italy. Some you baggage know, handler. They were, they, oh, they were taking, yeah, they were, they were going through it. They would, they would go through it. And even one time someone came from uh, Hawaii and this poor person bought two cases of nice uh, pineapples and one case never made it to them. You know, we took the case and these guys, you know, everybody had come off that much eating pineapple that night. It's like, pina coladas for so everybody. That, yeah. I mean, this is what they did. Like this is, you know, so even if they didn't go in the airport to get it, they were taking anything that came out of the airport that they could get their hands on, like the luggage. So sorry to interrupt you. You're just, so the Gambinos are calling for you. Vinny Asaro is asking where you are. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't, I respectfully, you know, don't go. And, but now I start hanging around Anthony and when we get into this problem, I was worried because he said, you know, they're asking around about us. We don't want to be careful. And um, I don't want to now go back to Ozone Park and have to put my tail between my legs and go to these Gambinos or go get somebody like Blaze Carrazzo, who is the brother of Nikki Carrazzo. And Jojo Carrazzo. So Jojo was the consigliere, I think, of the family. For again, when John Gotti was around. Yeah. yeah, when John Gotti. And Nikki was a was a was a captain with them that was in line to take the family over at one point. And then got caught a case and went going away himself. So I don't want to have to go and look stupid because these guys are asking for me and I stood away for all this time. What I did is I went to my childhood friend, which was jo- um, Joey the Benedetto, little Joey, and he is, as we said, Vic's, Vic Amuso's son-in-law. He married the daughter. And I explained, you know, what happened and that these guys may come looking for me. And he said, don't worry about it. You know, we'll, we'll handle it. If I didn't do that, I might not even, <laughs> they never did come looking for us. No one ever went to Joey and said, hey, you know, no one came around. I guess they just dropped it. But as a result of going to him, now I'm back staying around Joey, who is a, at the time, he's a member of the, the family, the Lucchese family. And then after a while, he puts me on record with him and he says, listen, forget about those Gambinos. You know, let me put you with me and, you know, we'll do good together. And, you know, a little gambling here and there, and small, nothing big. And after a while, he tells me that his skipper, his captain, which is Big John Castellucci, 
with the Lucchese's wants to meet me and he wants to meet me. And then he, I tell him about Anthony and now they want to meet Anthony because we want to take Anthony away from the Columbo's because he's not comfortable there. Not only did they kill his father, not only did his brother shoot some of them. And now, you know, he just, we just had an incident with them and he feels like he's a sitting duck. So we get him too. And we kind of, as uh, it was explained to me, they call fast tracked. And we kind of get fast-tracked where, as associates, we weren't even, I don't even know if we were associates for a year. And they, we get straightened out and, you know, inducted into the family. Wow. That, I mean, there's guys that are associates for decades, 30, for 20, 30 20 years. years. Right. Yes. Wow. Yes. That's extraordinary. And, and I have to say that it's a mistake. And that's why I always say that. This guy that was my captain out there, Big John, was not really meant for that position because he kind of gets the position. He was an associate and he's away with Joe DiNapoli. And Joe DiNapoli was, is, it was a consigliere in the family, in the Lucchese's. But when they were in prison together, Big John was just an associate. And Joe wasn't feeling good. And John tells him, let's go. I'm taking you to the infirmary. And he argues and says he don't want to go. And John insists. And when Joe gets there, he has a heart attack. And they tell Joe, if this guy didn't take you, you would have died. So, of course, when John gets out, Joe wants to return a favor by getting him inducted in the family. And at the time, there was this opening position for the Brooklyn faction of the family. Uh, at that time, I think Danny Katea had it and they slide John, big John in and now make him a captain so he goes very quick from being an associate to uh, a maid member right away when he comes home to a captain and you know getting back to what I was just saying an associate should be around they should not be fast-tracked after a, a hot year you know you need to get to see, get to know these guys see how they operate, see what they're about, you know, it, it, it's, you can't, it's impossible, you know, especially in that life, in, in, inside of a year to figure all that out and know a guy, you know, that's why they keep guys around for so long. And the mistake that I made, and even the Gambino has admitted to it, was that they said, you grew up in our neighborhood around us, you know, we, we, we're your friends. You don't know these guys. Like, how did you get over there? Like, these are Brooklyn guys. And I didn't know them. I didn't know them. The only person I knew was my friend, Rudy Joey. And he was a Howard Beach guy. But they put me with that crew, which were all Brooklyn guys, you know, from Brooklyn. And I don't know them. Like, I, it's a very big difference when you grow up with guys, as probably um, Scott, you'll, 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 you'll say I'm right, uh, compare it to the the uh, Philly mob who I met, those are all childhood friends yeah. who grew up together. They're kind of unbreakable, right? Because they're, they're, they're friends first, childhood friends. And, and, and they, they, have that, they have that bond. Well, these guys were Brooklyn guys who all grew up together. And me and Anthony were outsiders to them. I was an outsider. And it just wasn't good. And ultimately, obviously, it wasn't good for me. So, you know, and everyone always said that, like, you know, you, why did you go with them? It just it wasn't like I was picking a baseball team. It's just that's the way it happened. And it, explain a little bit how the that crew operates, because they're, they're Brooklyn guys, but they're operating out of Staten Island. Yeah. So what happened is, is that 
obviously it used to be a Brooklyn crew, and which which was called the Brooklyn faction of the family, right? And you know these families are made up. I was people always ask, they are families, little families within a large family that makes up a large family. So these crews are running like they're their own little family, you know. And that's what a crew is. That's what a crew is. You know, it's it's part of the big family, but we're running like it's our own little group, our own little family. They're like these mini fiefdoms that report yeah, to yeah, a, 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 exactly. you know, an overall king and queen. Yeah, that's really except there's no queen. Right, right, right. <laughs> but that's 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 what that's really what it is. And um and what happens is they move them to Staten Island. I don't know how it moved to Staten Island. I think because John was based in Staten Island, he lived there and he probably got permission to like just hold court there, but they still were considered the ones considered the Staten Island crew or the Staten Island faction. They were still considered the Brooklyn faction of the Lucchese family. So we had the Brooklyn crew. Hey, John, let me ask the, so uh, back to the fast track part. So were there any like OGs around that did not show people like you, like the young guys coming up the, the proper respect because they felt like well, that's not really the way it was supposed to go? Or once, you, once you're made, question. you're made. No, it's a very good question, right? And I'm going to tell you something that, that happened. So there is what you would say an OG, an old timer, and his name was Dom Trisulo. Right? He was Cra- captain crazy Dom, right? Be- crazy Dom, all right? Crazy Dom. And he was very well-respected captain in that crew, had a big crew, always had the biggest crew. Well, when I was just straightened out, like I'm talking about days and weeks, Dom was always coming by the cigar lounge, which was kind of like our headquarters. John owned the place. Big John Tessalucci owned it. And... I'm always talking with Dom. I wasn't officially introduced to Dom. But when the time came for them to introduce me to Dom, he looked at me, and I will never forget it, because, and he smiled, like he shook his head, because a lot of young guys that they, you know, or new guys that they straighten out, they want everyone to know that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm straight, I want to meet him, I want him to meet me, they, they want people to know who they are. I carried myself totally different. I didn't want to meet people, I wanted to be low profile from the beginning and low key. And Dom picked up on that, that here's this, here's this kid, you know, compared to him, here's this kid who's around me and never even hinted to me that he was a friend until I, until, until I was officially introduced to him. And it wasn't for like, maybe three weeks, a month later. But I never hinted to him. And I think he, so when you say, I guess you have to earn the respect of the old time. Like I told the story the other day about Lorenzo. So you could, um, Scott, you know who Lorenzo is, right? Lorenzo Menino? Yes. The right, rep- so he's, reputed, according to what we're hearing yeah, now, Reputed yeah. acting boss of the Gambinos right now? Yeah, so I had a meet with Lorenzo. And it was the very beginning, and I go to his club, uh, cafe on 18th Avenue, and I'm with Lorenzo and Pete Inzerillo, Paul Pete, and as you know, the Inzerillos are from the other side who had the Toto Arena walk, that whole thing, right? So Lorenzo, uh, a Colombo comes in and sits down, and Lorenzo excuses himself and goes over to the guy. And he comes back and he says to me, hey, 
you know, he's a friend with the Columbus. Do you want to meet him? So I looked at him. I said, Lorenzo, if you want me to meet him, no, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll gladly go over and meet him. I said, but if you ask me if I want to meet him, I have no business to meet him. You know, I'm not, I, you know, I, I don't, there's no reason for me to meet him. And he sat down and he smiled at Pete, almost the same smile that Dom smiled because they want, he's testing me. In other words, if I jump up, he's going to go introduce me, but he's going to say, oh, another guy, you know, they just strain him out. He wants to meet the whole world. But they seen that I was a little different and I did not want people to know. So the old school don't want people to know who they are because you're not supposed to let people know who you are. You know, we're supposed to be a secret society. And a lot that's lost on a lot of these new guys today, but it wasn't lost on me. So that ain't, I don't know. I hope I answered you. Oh, oh yeah, no, that, perfect. That's, that's great. great. No, I appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Thank you. So they seen that I was a little different than the average you know, new person, a new guy coming in. Hey, Johnny, let me just yes. do a quick uh, deep dive into the actual making ceremony, if you don't mind. A quick, that's, yeah. a, that's contradictory, a contradictory term, a quick deep dive. Uh, <laughs> but you were made by Maddie Madonna, right? Correct. Okay, so just for people to, to, to know this, uh, Maddie Madonna, who will be spending the rest of his life in prison as of um, about a year ago, but uh, Maddie Madonna is a the definition of an OG Don. Uh, was one of the kind of the last New York old school bosses. Uh, was active back in the fifties and sixties. Um, was tied into that whole Harlem uh, black drug Nikki empire. Nikki Barnes um, was also kind of fast tracked in the sense that. I don't think he had his button when he went to prison, but when he came out of prison, he went from like a button to a capo to boss very quickly. Um, but he, you know, a, a legendary figure in the New York underworld. So can you talk a little bit about meeting him and getting made by him? So Maddie was handpicked by Vic, sent out, they straightened him out and made him a captain with no men. So what that means is that he was on paper. So they, they, in order to push him up into a, a um, an administrative position in the family, they got to bump him up to a captain position. So what they did is they gave him, they made him a captain with no men. And the reason being is that he can't meet with his guys because he's on paper, parole, and he's not supposed to be meeting with, you know, these obviously crime guys and felons. And um, so when I meet Maddie. They, they, um, I meet Maddie obviously before um, straightened out because, and the reason being is that um, they're going to bring someone that they're proposing around to specifically the club and, and um, wakes because they're trying to bring you around the family. And, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to bring you around. I think one of the reasons they bring you around is see if anybody has anything to say about you or see really how you act. And when I first went to the club, I was just an associate of Little Joey. And they kind of, you know, I, I, won't, I won't want to say that it was like a job interview, but they're watching you closely. You got all these guys, like, you know, the whole the administration's there and all kinds of captains and, 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 and made guys. And, and there's you and you're eating, and they're talking, everybody's talking with you. Oh, they really like getting a feel of you to see if you are a good fit for them. So when I first 
meet Maddie. It was on the street outside the club. So they tell him about me. And he says, come over here. So I go over to him. And he says, I heard you did 17 years. Now, I know Maddie had done 32. So I says, I said, yeah, you know, I, I did. I did. You know, I did 17. He said, were you in the state? I said, yeah, I was in the state. He says, I hope you didn't take your shoes off. Uh, I don't know if you know what that means. Um, there was a prison. Um, those are prison words. And what that means is that if a guy like does under five years, you would say, hey, I hope, you know, don't even take your shoes off. No, you're not going to be here long to some guys that are doing a lot of time. Like, don't even bother taking your shoes off. You're going to be you're going to be going home soon. And so I reply to him. I said, Matty, not, I, not only did I take them off, I got very comfortable. <laughs> so he punched me in the arm, hugs me, bites my shoulder, come over here. And he's, you know, that was the way he was. I, you know, he was like one of those, he was like a real man's man, like the, you know, be kid around with the guys and all that. He would always like kid around, punch me or bite me when he seen me because he did 32 years. So I, I says, but I know it's in no comparison to what you did. You know, because he did 32. But he got a big kick out of the way, the way I answered him. What were his attributes as a boss that, or what What did people see in him, you know, when he was being groomed, I guess, that made him this kind of rising star? And, and you know, to this day, he's, in, he's incredibly respected, even though he's, you know, never going to get out of prison. I don't have nothing bad to say about Matt. He, he was, he was a, a, a good guy, not made for that position. Okay. And the reason being is that we always look to Stevie, which is Stevie Korea, and say, that's our guy. Because he was the force behind Maddie. Maddie was very loud. Um, you know, he had made, I know, I know you probably heard of the incident with the bananas coming and arming up and coming into our club. That, that, that was a result of Maddie really saying something out of order that a boss should say kind of told somebody that well, we don't recognize your boss, a boss that's in prison. How do you make that statement when we got Vicar Musso doing life and he's our boss? It's like, you, you don't make that, as a boss, you don't make that, as an acting boss, a boss, you don't make that mistake. And that, that, that statement was the cause, and I'm not saying it was right, it was wrong what they did, when they come charging in and have, try to have to stand down the bananas armed into the club. Which years ago that would have been a war. So, so wait a minute. Like, so I, uh, who are they referring to? Who, who was, was he talking he, about? Joel Man, was he talking about Joel Messino? No, no, no. He was. No, it was after that. Mikey knows. Oh, Mikey knows Mancuso. Was, okay. Was, was was the banana boss that was away? He's the banana boss. He's the banana boss now. Yes, yeah. At the time he was away. Yeah. And Maddie made that statement to one of them that well, we don't recognize a boss that's in prison can't make that statement because our own boss was in prison. Like it was just, it's not, a, it's not a statement to make, especially coming from somebody in that position. And it just, it was, you know, so he, he, listen, was he well-respected? Was he a good guy? You know, he was in very well-respected in that life. He did a lot of time. So, of but, but his, his right hand or his underboss was Stevie Crea, who they called Stevie Wonder who was also, uh, you know, a rising star from a, from a very young age. Well, wait a minute here. Correct. So th this is this is pretty interesting here, though. The Bananos find out about this, and they send guys into your social club? Yeah. It, I wasn't in, 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 involved in that incident. I know about the incident. And what happened was they had, I think that their 
I don't know if he was there on the boss of Consignere, but it was uh, Anthony Rubito with the Bananos, was waiting to be picked up. And they purposely left him because they know he would have did it diplomatically. They purposely didn't pick him up. They left him standing on the corner. And they went in there like cowboys. And that could have really gotten serious. You know, you don't do that. You don't go and make a move like that. It, it was like a, a real bold cowboy move. You know, they should have did it the right way. You know, there was other ways to handle that, but they did it that way. And um, inside the club that day was, was our administration. I think Stevie was just coming in from what I heard. He had just like came in while this was ensuing. But the youngest guy there was Big John. And a lot of people did not respect John because they felt that he just stood there and didn't do anything. In other words, you, you had all these 70 year old men, he's our administration, it's the core of our family at that time. And he let these guys barge in there and he didn't even do anything. You know, there was a lot of them, obviously. And then I think in John's defense, what are you gonna do? Like if you make a move, you could set off you know, a train of events. So I think that he was really looking for the direction of our administration on how, to, how are they handling this. You know, I don't know really what I would have done right then and there. I think I would have looked for the same thing, kind of looked for a little guidance on how they're going to react to it. But a lot of guys didn't respect John. They felt that he should have did something. How did it de-escalate? I heard Stevie de-escalate it. So what was the motivation? What do you think was his mindset? Why would he say something like that, like a, a snub? Well, that's what I'm talking about is that he would just say things. I see. loud. He would make comments. And it's kind of like... Don't forget, he wasn't groomed to be a boss. He was just right. picked and sent in there. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's like it's like taking a guy. It's like don't forget, he's 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 owning our street. You know, this guy just did thirty something years, still in prison. Now he's you know fast tracked, as they say, right to the boss position. And you know, it's you know, I think it. He had Joe DiNapoli and and Stevie as his counterparts in the in the administration which were all old school, old, you know, old wise guys, you know, schooled in that life. But Maddie was, you know, Maddie, he was just very loud and boisterous. And, you know, that's why I think like a lot of us look to Stevie and we privately say, well, that's our guy. Maddie might've been fast tracked after the uh, three decades in prison, but yes. you know, Stevie was someone that they tapped really, really at a young age. Right. They, and that's why they yeah. called him Stevie yeah. wonder. Because he was like a wonder boy. Well, he, he, you know, he knew that life and, you know, and knew how to carry himself and carry himself like a boss. And, um, you know, that's, that's what that was as, as far as Matty goes. So can you, I mean, can you, he was a great guy. No, finished on. He was a very likable guy, a great guy, man's man. You know, I don't know about boss material, you know, I'm not, I don't know. He, he was okay. Can you tell us about the, the day you were made? Yeah, I mean, it's probably it's probably a story that it's been told thousands of times because it's always very similar. And, uh, we still like hearing it every time it's told. Yeah, more <laughs> geeks. We, we <laughs> it started out funny because it's Anthony Guzzo was getting straightened out with me that day, which is also shows you the favoritism that John, this big John, had with Joe Napoli because he's usually only supposed to get one guy. He's getting two guys straightened out. And um, and they had another guy 
uh, from the Long Island crew that was getting strained out. I don't know who was left. I think his first name was Patty. And Anthony calls me up as I'm getting dressed, and he said to me, hey, well, you know, what are you doing when you're wearing a suit? And I played a little trick on him. I said, oh, Anthony, don't wear a suit because they, you're going to look stupid. They don't wear suits these things anymore. He said, oh, good thing you told me because I was putting a suit on. I didn't know what to wear. I said, no, I wear slacks and a sweater. And I'm putting my suit on. <laughs> and when we go meet him, me, little Joey, Benedetto, uh, and Anthony, he sees me get out of the truck with a with a with a suit. He was so mad at me. You but know? you knew you and knew you were getting this wasn't a secret. Like you knew you were going to your making ceremony. Yeah, that's another thing, is that most of us know that you get straight out. Like people told us like, Hey, you know, stay out of trouble any day now to every and then they I got a call to go meet this little little Joey, uh, you know, in Howard Beach. Nobody said, Hey, get dressed. None of that. He said, hey, you got to come and meet. We're going to go take a ride tomorrow. So I kind of knew. And um, so did Anthony. We kind of knew. And so anyway, Anthony didn't want to get changed. And he was still cursing me. And we go and we we ultimately wind up at a house in Staten Island. And we're ushered, the three of us, into the basement. And, um, you know, Okay, and then they'll call you up one by one. So um, when they called me up, I, I was the second guy to go. They called me up, and um, it's, it's – so I think it was, in, it was a dining room table, and it's a long table, and all these guys, you know, the administration with the exception of Stevie was not there. So there's times when, you know, he, you don't have to have, you could have the administration here, but there's times that maybe one, one member of the administration is there or something like that. But he, Stevie happened not to be there the day I got inducted. So it was Maddie and Jordan Apple that was there. And there was some skippers, obviously Big John, because the person who is proposing you, which would now be John for his crew, is also pricking your finger. That's the person who's doing that to you. And so on the table is a um, a pistol, a knife, a picture of a saint, an ashtray, a lighter, and a diabetic needle. That's what they, they didn't have a pen. I guess they were just using that. And, um, you know, so the first question that they're asking you, and they ask everybody, and I think everybody usually knows the answer, and the answer is always going to be no, is do you know why you're here? And you can't say yes. And um, so I said, no. And they, you know, surprisingly, because you don't, I, you know, what do I know what are they going to say? And it's just, I was shocked, like, just to hear Maddie say these words that he said, you know, you're here to be considered becoming a member of our family. We are the Lucchese crime family. So he, he's telling you who, who they are. And, um, you know, then they're asking you, would you like to become a member of this family? He said, yes. If called upon, would you kill for this family? And, you know, you know, you're answering yes. And then there's a bunch of other things, but they, one of the things is that if your child is in a hospital dying and you're at the bedside and a member from this family calls you, we are now your family. We are now your new family. And you're to leave that child and come to us. You know, you know, would you do that? And, I can't even tell you, everybody obviously answered yes, but how many of them were serious about that? Who's going to do that? So I think even a lot of these people asking these questions would never do that either, but they're asking that question. And, um, and 
Another rule is obviously one that they should have followed. Uh, you know, you're not to fool around with a made guy's wife or girl because girls are like their wives and all of that. And um, and then at that point, you're, you know, they're lighting the saint up and cupping your hands and they're telling you, you know, move the saint around and um, pricking your finger, you know. Well, that's where you prick your finger first. And they're dropping blood on the saint, and then they're lighting the saint up, and and you know, it's it's, it's pretty kind of what they would say boilerplate language. Just I, I, Maddie actually was very eloquent in the way he spoke and did it. I was a little surprised that he did it. You know, I guess very close to an old school way of doing it, and that's that's one thing that I can say that you know. So in that respect, he. He definitely did the ceremony and, you know, very traditional. Maddie did it. Do you think if Maddie had had not had been in prison for 30 years, he's someone that would have risen fast organically? Um, yeah, I would say yes. Because I know he had a lot of respect before he went to prison, like in the, in the 70s when he was running yeah. around with Nicky Barnes. I, I don't know about if he would have made it to the but I think he could have made it obviously to a captain and, and possibly, you know, higher. You know, he he was very well liked. He he was a he was a very likable guy. You know, he was a very good guy. But you know, and after that, that's when when that all when that ceremony is done and you kind of uh, when you lock arms together and you speak in Italian and it's kind of like just when you're locking in together, it's kind of that you're one, right? You become a united one. And, um, and then at that point comes your very first introduction because they have to start introducing you. And I think it was Joe DiNapoli who introduced me and said, do you know who this is? Of course you can say no. And he says, this is Maddie Madonna. Maddie's the acting boss of this family. Maddie, this is, John Amica Nostra, which means our friend. And now at that point, you could start meeting everybody else. And Maddie now turned around and introduced me to Joe. And then it, it just went around the whole room. I had to be introduced to the whole, everybody there. So this may be a, a naive question, but, um, you know, for like civilians, most people are not in the, you know, Cosa Nostra. They don't know anyone who's who's part of that life. So their, their primary exposure to that world is through popular culture, the Sopranos, right. Goodfellas, the Godfather. So like for, for like a civilian thinking like, Oh, the Lucchese family, like this is like Goodfellas. Right. So, but for a guy that's actually in the life, a guy who, who's, who grew up in those neighborhoods, who's, who's hustling, uh, you, you did time. So for a guy like you, does that matter to you? Do you think about pop popular culture at all? Do you think about Not I'm a made guy now and this is like the fucking godfather? <laughs> like is that somebody asked it's a good question because somebody yeah. had asked me, I think it was Tom Lavecchi said to me, Well, the next day you wake up, you how do you feel? Right. And it's not it, it was a good question because it's not I didn't feel any different. Okay. I didn't. I didn't feel any different. I didn't walk around with my chest puffed out. I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to go out, stop buying all kinds of fancy clothes. And, <laughs> you know, I just stood the way I was, low key. The only difference that I can tell you was that obviously you're going to notice a lot more people respecting you. A lot more drinks came our way. You know, people buying drinks. We were not waiting on lines at restaurants and things like that. You know, but other than that, I kind of carried myself 
I would have to say the same way I did now. I, I, you know, I was always very respectful, very humble, and you know, not your typical, um, you know, talking out of the side of my mouth. And <laughs> I just, that's just the way I carried myself in that life too. You know, I, I, the way kind of I do now. And and um, so that was it. I did not feel any different. Did I notice, you know, the preferential treatment and all of that? Obviously, um, the people. Would they say, for lack of better words, would, would a lot of ass kisses? Yes, you know sure. that, that, that comes in that life. But you you got to take it. I think I think that a person should, at that level, like you know, that's a very that's a big distinction. There's a big distinction between associate to friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know. Now you're on a different you're on a different level, um, and that you should humble yourself even more that's and and i think as you rise you even humble yourself more and more and more and more if you do make it to the top you know that's just the way in my opinion that's just what i was taught yeah that seems like the old school the old school way for sure yeah and it wasn't like you should not like one of the things that maybe people don't know about is that you can't all your past issues or what we say beefs or um, grievances against people, whatever you know, whatever you call it, dies that day because you know in the old school way of thinking is that you're not being brought into this life so that you can retaliate on everybody because you have the upper hand now, and that's something that maybe people don't know about. But that's that dies that day. Like you can't now get revenge on somebody who had a problem with maybe a year ago, you know, because now you have the upper hand, and that's not what that old school mentality about bringing people into the life that's not what the life is about it's, you know you're not supposed to use that life to take advantage of you know you like i said the upper hand on people right it seems that seems very different than like nikki scarfo who was like once he was no, had the, the power he's like i want to kill everyone that pissed me off yeah well and cadillac <laughs> yeah, frank, well, they, and cadillac frank right, in boston right. too. Settle, they used it as a way to settle these scores to, to, you know uh air their grievances <laughs> violently right Yes, so not to say that that doesn't happen in, 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 in examples like, like that, but it's the wrong thing to do. That's not causing Austria. So that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Um, you know, at, at least if you go by the rules, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. And, and, and let me tell you that I can say that I listened very carefully when I was given rules because I was going to make sure I followed those rules. I was a rule follower. Unbeknown to me... <laughs> I figured everybody else's <laughs> and you know, that's not the case at all. And it's, you know, that's where I think that's where this whole thing breaks apart with that life today is that they're not, you know, obviously I think rules are put in place for a reason, no matter if it's organized crime or it's, you know, a fortune 500 company, there's always rules that are in place and they're in place for a reason There's reasons behind that. And there's reasons why they should be followed. And, you know, I think that that separates the old school mentality from the new school. Plus, they just have a disregard, I think, for rules. So how do you think the Philadelphia family fits into that? Um, we referenced them earlier, Joey Merlino crew, a bunch of guys that have been best friends since they were in elementary school. And it, 
nobody's ever turned on anybody. We're, we're going now, you know, they've been in power in Philadelphia, uh, for going on, you know, 30, 30, 30 years. And, uh, it, you know, uh, these guys are only in their fifties right now. So they could have another 20, 30 year run. And it's like the, their allegiance really, it, it appears at least their allegiance really has nothing to do with La Cosa Nostra or, or any oath they took their allegiances to each other and the bond they have from being back in the sandbox together in the 1970s. Correct. That's why I said those guys, they have a bond. They have a friendship from when they were younger and it, and it makes a very big difference when you come from that and they're rising up together it's very hard to shake that. That's what makes them strong. And you're right. They're not really going by cause of Russia rules. Right, so, that, so that's my other question. Do they, do, would you say that they follow the rules or would you say that the, the Lucchese crime family viewed them as guys that kind of played out of bounds? We, were, we weren't allowed to recognize them. We were not allowed to recognize Joey Molino as the boss. Wow. And that came from Vic. And the reason why, obviously, you know, the history is that um, Mickey Scarfo, when his son gets shot, you know, obviously appeals to Vic and Vic steps in and, and saves his son by, you know, sending a message out there to straighten him out with the Lucchese's and that kind of protects him. And at that point, a message is sent out that, Hey, we're not recognizing Joey Molino as the boss of Philadelphia and we're not recognizing them. We're not doing business with them. And, you know, obviously, a lot of people don't listen to that, but that was definitely a, a rule put in place by the, the boss. Right, the and, and another kind of piece of, of, I mean, somewhat lost mob history that, that often gets glossed over is that there was a time period, and this plays to what you were saying about um, Amuso and, and Scarfo kind of getting thick as thieves behind bars and Amuso in some ways doing Scarfo's bidding through his the fact that he still wields power outside of uh, the prison walls while Scarfo doesn't. Correct. For people that don't know, little Nicky Scarfo was the lunatic boss of the of the Philadelphia Mafia <laughs> in the 80s, Correct. was accused of ordering like 30 murders in five years or six years, um, and just recently died in prison, but was very close with the Lucchese boss, Vic Amuso. There was a period in the late 90s, early 2000s, where the New Jersey wing of the... Philly crime family had went and gotten support from the Lucchese's to kill not Joey because Joey was in prison at that point, but to kill Georgie Borghese, Joe Legambi, and Stevie Mazzone, oh, really? who were Joey's yeah, inner circle, and it was being planned. And then the guy that was planning it, Pete the Crumb Caprio, who was the capo in Jersey, ended up getting busted. So it, it, and then he flipped, and that's how we know that that was going on. Oh, so that. But all my time, but yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was back in like two. I think in two thousand, it was being plotted. It probably would have pulled it and, off. And it was and it was plotted. It was being plotted because they didn't recognize Joey as the boss. Would they have put Scarfo Jr. back down in Philly? Well, that was another plan that was being hatched in, in the two thousands, where and this is how crazy Nicky Scarfo is. Nicky Scarfo and Vic Amuso were back in this play by Nicky Jr and some other guys that Nicky Jr. had around him to fleece this bank of millions and millions of dollars. And then Nicky... Oh, that's what he gets called for, yeah. Right. And in, in a Nicky Sr.'s mind, they're going to take that score, and with Vic Amuso's backing, they're, they're going to start a war. They're going to take back Philly. Oh, yeah. 
and Nikki Jr. is oh, gonna become God. the boss of Philly. It's like a war chest. <laughs> yeah. So if you think about that whole crazy scenario, I would have to say that that I have to now look at Vic that he's easily manipulated because he was manipulated by another psychopath yeah. called Gaspipe. So right. he lets these guys easily manipulate him into these these crazy things. And it's just strange because that's the second uh, psychopath <laughs> yeah. that manipulated Vic. Too hyper-violent. But, 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 too hyper-violent How guys. detached from reality are you if you're Nikki Scarfo knowing that at this point when this was going on in the, you know, the, the early 2010s or late 2000s, you know, Joey and Joe Legambi were pretty firmly entrenched there. There wasn't, you know, it wasn't like they were trying to leverage discontent in the family or, or leverage – uh, instability in the family. The family at that point was very stable because of Uncle Joe uh, Legambi, who came in and yeah, stabilized the sure. family yeah. in the years. Of Legambi, yeah. Right. Uh, so it's like you're Nikki Scarfo. You're sitting behind bars. You're 75 years old, and you think got nothing else to do. Right. And you think your son, <laughs> by the way, who had very little respect uh, across the. Um, even, with, even within our family. Right. He did not have a lot of respect within the Cosa Nostra circles. No. That he's going to have the. The wherewithal to, to lead a resurrection, you know, on the street in Insur- resurrection, <laughs> lead an insurrection on the street. Insurrection. Yeah, it's correct. correct. I, agree, I agree with that well, 100 percent. All right. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, we're going to we're going to do another another episode with, with John Panisi because he is such a incredibly articulate and compelling guest with just great insight, great stories, great perspective. So we're going to give you a, a whole nother episode that kind of goes into John's the downfall, I guess. Uh, we, we've taken you up to the point where, he, where he's got his button and he looks like he's fast-tracked to not just uh, become a made guy, which he has become in the story that we're telling, but, but also looks like he, you know, he's being groomed to, to eventually be an administrator and, and lead the Lucchese crime family into the future. But, you know, some things happened that, that led, you know, well, I'll tease it, it led to a murder contract being put on your head by people that you trusted. And uh, we'll give, we'll give the, the second part of the story its due, and we'll, we'll give you a deep dive on the next episode. But, John, you've been a, a, just a tremendous guest. We hope you, you know, you'll continue to be a friend of the OG podcast and anything that I can do. Absolutely. Let the audience know and the, and the listeners know where they can find you, whether it be in your social media or, you know, on your blogs and your podcasts. Yeah. I, so we have, I have, I'm involved in two um, podcasts. One is the MBA and the button man with Tom Lavecchia and that's on YouTube. And the second one also on YouTube is called sit down news and sit down news. It is a in-depth look at what I'm writing in my blog, which also goes by the same name, Sit Down News, and you can find it at sitdownnews.com. And it's kind of a weekly blog. So I created the Sit Down News podcast to just give a little more in-depth into the stories that I'm writing every week. So that's where you could find me. I wouldn't say this about, you know, 99% of the... um ex wise guys or or even some current wise guys that are that are uh, <laughs> jumping on social media and and uh you know trying to stretch their legs as storytellers mm-hmm. uh you yep. are a very very good writer sir 
I mean, that means a lot coming from you. <laughs> you tell a great story through the written word. Uh, I started reading you back in the fall when you started publishing, and I was like, "Wow, this is uh, this is like uh, written by a by a professional writer almost." Uh, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> it's concise writing. It's great storytelling. You're able to um, you know develop start story arcs in your narrative, and you always you know come with a big finish. Great anecdotes and just, you know, again, great insight and perspective. And we're just happy that you're willing to come in and chop it up with us here on the OG. Yeah, I appreciate that, especially coming from yourself. And um, I really appreciate you guys having me on, and I'll definitely come back and join. Yeah, we're going to talk more about uh, the Lucchese's. We're going to talk more about the Philadelphia mob and and, uh, uh, John's run-ins with them, uh, things that were going on in New Jersey, things that were going on in Staten Island, and then everything that he's been doing um, since he left the life. So uh, check in for the next episode, another conversation with John Panisi. Make sure you check us out on Facebook. Scott never remembers to do that. (laughs) Scott never remembers to promote our brand. I hope uh, we got to change. I hope Mark leaves it in the. (laughs) Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, um, we're on um, Twitter. And uh, hopefully, we'll have some video content up. And uh, anyhow, like, follow, subscribe, share. We love bringing you great content. We love bringing you the John Panisi's of the world. And John Panisi, I'm telling you, you're you're a superstar. This has been one of my favorite episodes to record and, and do an interview with. You're, uh, you're, you're very captivating. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. We'll talk soon. And uh, for Jimmy Bucciolato, Scott Bernstein, John Panisi, OG Podcast, out. Oh.